Hi, you're listening to CS Book Club, and we're reading Introduction to Graph Theory by Richard Trudeau. Today we're going to be talking about chapters 6, Coloring, and 7, The Genus of a Graph. I'm Brian, and with me are Clint. Hello. Amy. Hey, everyone. And Justin. Hey. So what did you all think about the idea of coloring a graph? I don't think I made it past... I, I think I got stumped on the third sentence. Despite the title, crowns will not be required for this chapter. <laughs> and, and you were like, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of a downer. Yeah. So just because crowns aren't required doesn't mean you can't use them. That's a good um, life lesson, actually. Yeah, I feel like uh, some of these make me uh, think back to how, how easy it was to get lost in some of those adult coloring books. I didn't think that they'd be fun. And then my grandmother put one in front of me, and I was... I was lost for about 30 minutes in those. So I do want to ask, though, um, I really genuinely got stuck on definition 27. You wouldn't think that you would get stuck on, like, the third sense of a chapter, but um, I was wondering if I could ask people what they thought of this line. So it says, a graph has been colored if a color has been assigned to each vertex in such a way that a G... that adjacent vertices um, have different colors. Um, But, so let's look at, for instance, uh, figure 115A, right? Mm -hmm. By that definition, and maybe, maybe my brain is just spinning on this, adjacent vertices, I could label each vertice a different color. um, Completely different color. So, Currently, figure 115A has three instances of blue, two greens, one red, or two reds and one orange. If I added in, you know, some pink, some fuchsia. To make eight different colors? To make eight different colors. I think that is true. I think that meets definition 27. But you wouldn't actually be able to use, if, you, if this figure 115A was actually a cube, and you ha- you could... You know, get out your crayons and color it. I, I was able in my head to to create a real world coloring, but if I th- start throwing in fuchsia and pink, um, you know, if you imagine a, a dice, if you label each different vertice of the of the die a different color, there's no way to make that actually work in the real world. Well, I think, but like, but but a vertice on a die is are the corners. Right, not the not the faces. So maybe that's that's the difference. That would that would very much explain it if I because there, there are eight corners on a die, but there are only six faces. Yeah. Um. So then, did I read this wrong? Does in definition twenty seven is a vertex a face? Not maybe I no. need to go back and read vertice the definition of a vertice yeah. again. A, a vertice no, just... is the little dot. And the lines yeah. that connect the dots are edges. So, like in Figure One Fifteen, a vertice is blue, green, orange. Like those things are, have labeled the vertices, not the faces. Yeah. Don't yeah. yeah. It, or if you, or if you didn't even think about like uh, the representation of um, the graph, like written out on paper. If you just imagine a graph with three vertices, these like A, B, and C, um, and they're all connected to each other, it's a complete graph then you would need three colors to, because they're all connected to each other, each edge would have to have different colors at either end of it. 
I guess I'm still using spatial terms by saying end and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally totally get that. Um and so maybe uh that makes me feel better. It makes me feel like I read definition 27 correct. Um that I could just like start throwing in fuchsia and pink and it would it would follow definition 27. Um I guess then I read this chapter thinking probably incorrectly about this i was you know i had in my head like an image of a map right near collaring right the different countries um and uh as opposed to thinking about you're just coloring the nodes the yeah i think a map also works but you have to kind of change your idea of a map like like i think of a map in compared to a graph uh instinctively i want to just like call the lines in the graph edges and like every connection of, of multiple lines is a, is a vertice but really each you know country or state whatever kind of map you have each territory is a vertice and then um every country which is touching each other is an edge and then you could use the same the same coloring logic yeah i think if you if your goal is to get to the fewest number of colors then I think it kind of makes sense that, you know, if you're talking about vertices, can't have edges connecting them to something of the same color, then it makes sense in my head that if you're trying to bring the number of colors used down to the minimum amount, that you would end up with a graph where the, um, the areas, uh, the faces could be colored as well in the more, in the, the way we think about it. Uh, think about coloring a map so maybe maybe it's just that because we're trying to bring the number of colors used really far down instead of you know throwing a different different color on each vertice um then it becomes easier to conflate the two two things does any of that make sense (laughs) yeah yeah i think so okay good um this is really something where like I feel like we should have a whiteboard and I could be like... Yeah, I was just thinking too, like it would be really easy for me to describe this if I was drawing it. Yeah. Um, Pretty quickly in this chapter, we start talking about the four color conjecture and then the five color theorem. But I was curious because this book was written in 1970s, I think 76. Um, So I I was looking on Google and Wikipedia and found that the four color theorem was proven after the publication of this book yeah but it wasn't wasn't like the same year yeah, as the, the original the, publication the, so the first... i think this dude just missed the boat yeah <laughs> or maybe maybe it had to like they had already like printed a bunch of copies like as it was being proven and it's like whatever ship it he's getting a review and he's like well we have to go down and edit all that nah yeah. someone will shoot that down just just go with what we got <laughs> so we we also kind of skipped over Definition 28 of the chromatic number of a graph is the smallest number of colors, which it can be colored, uh, and we call that X. So we're going to reference that as we go. That ended up being another funny thing to me. Um, uh, kind of like Euler's, uh, Euler's theorem about like something, something equals two. Like this, equal, this, this equation we ended up working with kind of was like that to me. It's like two is less than or equal to the chromatic number, which is less than or equal to the vertices minus one. Mm. It's like you you just take 
the vertice with the most edges subtract one and that's the minimum number you need and i was like is it really that simple it seems way too like simple but it also seems i don't know like i would probably struggle with the mathematical proof of that on my own yeah one little bit of um i, I guess I, I wouldn't call it intuition but like how i convinced myself that it's not weird is um like we're we're dealing with uh we're like always dealing with natural numbers so you know you, zero one two three etc and so like like lower bounds of stuff are probably gonna be like maybe they'll be zero but like one or two seem like reasonable lower bounds for like a lot of things if you're looking at just like the relate like the nature of something across all possible graphs or like a, a super simple graph like the lower bound of some characteristic of it is probably going to be like one or two and then i was like okay so i guess i can buy that yeah but to go back to the just was talking about the four color conjecture slash theorem. Uh, I had um, I'd always heard it described using like a colloquial description, like we were talking about earlier, where like you're covering a or coloring a literal map. But I'd never heard it or seen it stated like it's stated in the book, which is that every planar graph has a chromatic number less than or equal to four, which is uh, arguably a much more formal way to to express that. Yeah, that seemed kind of shocking. Every planar graph has less than or equal to four. Again, a magical number. That this is a very complicated uh, theory and thing, but just four. Yeah, the four color conjecture is one of the most famous unsolved problems in mathematics. Now, now you've gotten me curious. I'm going to actually Google that real quick. It's been proven, buddy. We did it with computers. It was interesting that the five color theorem was um, not easily, but so so quickly proven in the late eighteen hundreds. Yeah, I mean the proof isn't that involved. I mean it's it's pretty involved, but like there's a sentence in here that says the proof of the five color theorem is rather long and involved. <laughs> is it really what it says? Yeah. Oh man, I'm, maybe I'm just desensitized. Um, and doesn't don't they show? That the same, yeah, they, they, so they go through the whole process of proving the five color theorem and then show that that same tactic can't be used for the four color theorem or conjecture at this point, which apparently represents a dead end. And that was pretty much the rest of the chapter. <laughs> I don't know if you want to go into the details of the proof. I feel like I understood it at some point and then I lost it again. But in my mind, it's like, we're pretty sure you can use four colors, so let's just add one and then we'll call our proof. <laughs> well, mathematicians like to call it relaxing the constraint. <laughs> let's just relax the constraint a little bit. Relaxing the constraint. That's much better. I feel like I should use that with some uh, with my product manager tomorrow. If you yeah. just relax the constraint here. <laughs> but... Yeah, it it's interesting to come to the end of this chapter and be at once like really impressed with how I don't know how clear that line is. Like it's it's four colors. I think was it um Clint saying earlier that like four just seems arbitrary. I didn't use the word arbitrary, but it did seem just kind of yeah, that was the gist of it, yeah. Yeah. Um it feels like it gives new meaning to like 
to maps. Obviously, that's the common use case here. But you know, to to coloring, you know, whatever I did in kindergarten. Um, but on the other hand, I'm not sure how I would apply this in any way um, to uh, like it. I'm not sure if I was building a graph of I don't know interconnected uh, friends or apps or uh, anything. I guess I'm not sure uh, if I could draw any conclusions from this. Like why you need to color those graphs? Well, yeah, I mean, that's probably more of a product called, right? Like, how many... Well, I mean, not necessarily, like, color them, like, literally, but more, like, classify them so that no two touching have the same classification. Yeah. Actually, like, maybe that's... Maybe you could use this in some way to develop an algorithm for redundancy, right? Like, no... I don't know. Like, I need my data spread out across multiple shards and no two shards can and but it can't be uh for redundancy reasons you know i can't have it in both uh in in shards that are connected or are are, i don't know right doesn't quite make sense but maybe no it kind of does make sense to me if i'm thinking like a a type of raid array like, if you want to yeah. duplicate the data, you have to make sure it can't be on the same disk. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. But then why would you need it spread out, like, besides geographically, right? What is the purpose of a graph of read? Or, I don't know. But, yeah, like, there is something, like, maybe else there. I wonder if that's just the... I wonder if that's just, like, coincidence, though, like... I'm not sure there's an actual ap- application there to like raid arrays. It just kind of makes sense. Yeah, I I don't think there is specifically there, but um, at least it's something other than other than thinking. Gosh, I see no applications for this. In theory, there's possibly some something about making sure that a graph is um, resilient to failure. I did find it interesting because we talked earlier about maps. And how uh, you could try to inv- imagine like the countries were instead vertices and or vertices, and then their their borders represented edges. Like the at the very end of the chapter, they make mention of how like an actual map maker can't really do that because they have to color the continental United States the same color as Hawaii. You know, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, or like the state of of Michigan doesn't actually, the two parts don't touch each other, but they need to be the same color, right? Ah. So I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. Because it, it immediately made me think of, uh, what, what is it, in theory, practice and theory are the same, but in practice they're not. It just made me think of that. Because like you, if you want to think about coloring all of the countries in, in the world, you should only, it should be, yeah, you just need four, but you can't do that in a real map. It just, it made me think of Yeah, I definitely, like, I think the, uh, the attempt at uh, representing some fictional world in, you know, figure 125, um, you know, it seems a little far-fetched uh, until you think about, well, yeah, like things like, exactly like Hawaii, um, and then um, 
all the assorted uh, different offshoots uh, elsewhere in the world, those really do exist. Uh, and uh, there's the map would be far less useful if the colors did not actually represent political entities. That and you have to reserve a color for oceans and lakes. Yeah. Only those only those can be blue. Unless you're just not showing oceans and lakes. You just use white. Transparent. Yeah. Well, it seems like a good place to end it. Thanks for listening. And we will talk next time about Chapter 7. See ya. Bye. Thanks.